This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! What's going on, everybody? Ears up podcast. We are back with a lot of stuff going on, man. We have, uh, if we didn't have a, a, a full show tonight, we do now. Uh, just as of yesterday, or maybe it's the day before, I can't remember, time uh, is meaningless in the Disney news sphere. But uh, Disney Company released a lot of information this last week about what's happening uh, across its its uh, you know plethora of arms of uh, business. So we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, you know, after, after our main segment. It depends on how long that goes, but definitely going to be running through a lot of it in the secret show tonight. If you are listening live, it is a secret show. The link is already in Patreon, so that's... That's cool for everybody involved. I don't have to do it here, you know, at the break or whatever. But yeah, tons of stuff happening. And um, I think most of it is, well, not most of it. Some of it I think is cool and funny. Uh, some of it sucks. And, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, the rest is just sort of blah. Like, I don't really care about most of it. But we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for it. And I'm excited for today's show, which is an Eric show. Yay. Eric, what's up, Finally. man? Look at you. Yeah. New kid finally decided to start doing his job. Right. What the hell? Come on. Yeah. Eric, you are, I mean, not, you did sit in for Terrence. You took over for Terrence. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, you're also taking over the Walt's Nine Old Men segments that Terrence started. Headman. It was his yeah, idea. Just, Headman. Oh, I don't have good ideas. So. Right. <laughs> Might as well just take his. Right. Yeah. Well, he never completed his job. He never so did. Oh, he somebody walked has out. to complete it. That's right. He walked out effective immediately. So yeah. Eric is kicking that off with uh, number four. Who is Walt's fourth nine old man? And well, it doesn't go in any or- specific order. Like no one. I was, was going to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't want anybody to like harass Eric. Poor Eric. Be like you know, this guy wasn't actually there. Was... Okay, I know it's the order Walt that we're doing. John Lounsbury. <laughs> yeah. Who is he? Uh, we're talking about Milt Call tonight. Milt Call. The call is coming from inside the Milt. You don't get a lot of Milt. Milton? Milton. Yeah. Yeah, no. you don't get a lot of Miltons. Yeah, Milton you get Earl, Milton Bradley. Bradley, Milt yeah, Burl, that's it. Call. Yeah. Was that the only ones? Milt, Milton from Office Space. True. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I saw a tweet. Oh, I, a lot of Miltons. I should have pulled it up. Uh, it was like this person was doing some sort of doctoral dissertation on 17th century Amish or something like that. I don't know. And oh. they just were like through the whole thing through the whole research phase they were tracking names oh. and they're like okay now that i'm done and graded i'm going to turn here here are all the weirdest names in the 16th and 17th century amish uh, community maybe we'll go through that in secret show we'll, we'll pick our new amish name interesting yeah all right 
By the way, I'm just sitting here casually with my with my knee up on the desk, just you know, chilling. Yeah, you're yeah, just I'm feeling just casual posing. tonight. It's Friday. Yeah, you no, know, I'm not. like Aristotle. You know, I just have a robe and I'm just leaning against a, a bush of oregano, <laughs> saying weird, cool, prophetic stuff, and That's people are like, Ugh, like who the, is this the most Greek you've ever been. It's true. Yeah. Wow. You know. Good All point. right. I feel We're not looking up your skirt. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a tunic. I feel weird about it. I don't know. I feel weird that I'm so casual because the camera's on, but like I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Maybe I'm too old to, you know, care. Or maybe you just gained confidence and you don't care. Yeah, I don't know. I gained something, whether it's, you know, years or wisdom. Okay. The real test is what happens when you go to the gym and you take a shower. Do you just walk around naked for a little while afterward? Talk to other men, other <laughs> old adult men? I try to give them pointers, actually, on how to wash. But oh, okay. they don't seem to. I got too many fights. So I got kicked out of all the gyms in the area. So now I just work out at home. <laughs> yeah. But I go, bro, you missed a spot. Come here. Let me help you. <laughs> doesn't work out well. doesn't work out well. But that's fine. You know, it, uh, you know whatever. They're going to be dirty in certain spots and i'm okay with that i've let that go okay can we let it go now yeah i'm sure we can (laughs) absolutely sure we can um okay before we start the show i do have a couple of announcements number one uh you go to patreon.com slash ears up and support our show for as little as two bucks a month you can get uh well i mean you basically just get these shows and uh and and uh, some other special content like the after hours from uh puny pod which uh, rgh just finally sent to me but you know he's busy or something i don't know and uh so i'll post that on patreon this weekend i mean honestly probably monday or tuesday so that'll be up there. But for five bucks a month, you get the secret show. It's a whole bunch of other stuff you get as well. I think Supreme Resort guys send me stuff, but I haven't gotten that either. So Yeah, you know, I've got two say? that I haven't finished editing. You know, <laughs> the usual. The usual. It's fine, man. Our Patreon people are cool. They understand. They're going to get the content eventually. There is a a new option somehow. Uh, this other show I follow said that you can sign up now for a year. Oh, become a year member and you get like a little discount. I don't know if anybody would be interested in that. That's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Let me know if that's something that people would be, because usually I don't like paying up front for like a term of thing. Yeah. But um, See, and I do. Okay. If if I can afford it, I do, because you're always going to save money. And so like, it's an upfront cost, but then you don't have to think about it again for a year. And I, I kind of yeah. like that mentality. The way I go, it's like, you know, if I'm going to save <clears throat> 50 bucks in a year, I'm never going to know it. You know what I mean? Unless you're taking that money and going, okay, here's this $50. It's going to go towards this or whatever. I don't know. It's all just doesn't matter to me. I'd rather just have access to the money in case something happened. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. Let me know. But also something else in related to our our official travel partner, Concierge, I think it's time to announce finally that uh, Taryn and I, along with Alice, unfortunately, are headed back to Disneyland. Be still my heart. I know. Yeah. I finally twisted his arm. Eric is clenching his pearls as we <laughs> speak. Yeah, we're going to go back after after Taryn's birthday for a late birthday present. So it'll be in January sometime. But we finally figured out that, okay, we should probably go back to the park. I don't really want to for myriad reasons, but I'm going to do it anyways. Taryn desperately wants to go. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So I contacted Jimmy over at Concy Ears to uh, make him do more work for me. But <laughs> this is work that he actually gets paid because he also works for Concy Ears. So very true. Yeah. So it's, I don't feel bad now. Uh, so I said, Jimmy, I demand you to do more work for me. And he, uh, you know, saluted me and said, <laughs> yes, sir. Well, and I, I personally think we've picked like the best date that we could have possibly chosen. 
Tell us your theory about that. Because so the Disney Run is coming back to Disneyland. Um, at... Excuse me, it's called Run Disney. Okay, yeah, you're right. Run Disney is coming back for the weekend of my birthday. So January twelfth through fourteenth, twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. And so if we go on the 15th or actually we'd probably travel on the 15th, go on the 16th. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Who's going to the parks on a Tuesday after Run Disney? Everybody, <laughs> everybody's going to Run Disney. And so I think we're going to have a good. I guess. I I mean, I think I like your logic. Um, I think, uh, you know, post COVID or, or, you know, now, you know, during COVID, um, I don't think those logic attacks work so well because I don't know. No, I, I feel like it's so hard to uh, to gauge. Who knows what's going to happen? I feel like the parks are just always busy. But this is the first run Disney at Disneyland in So you're thinking everybody's going to save up the time to go there instead of the weekend. Okay, I see what you're saying. Instead of the casual. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, I like it. I think that's cool. Um, yeah, so anyway, so I contacted Jimmy and I was like, look, here, here's what we're looking at. I don't have solid dates yet, but, you know, we'll get some prices or whatever. And he said, that's fine. The pricing for, for January January doesn't open up until like late May of this year. Okay. So we don't really know how much it's going to, you know, cost or whatever. But, uh, you know, he's like, do you want park? It was interesting, you know, and, and concierge, you know, uh, being our, our travel partner aside, it was kind of interesting being on the other side of not the other side, but being on being just like uh, asked information and then not worrying about it, you yeah. know, where he's like, OK, well, do you, how many days are going to go? I, was, I don't know, probably three. He's like, do you want a park hop? Yeah, we do. I think we want a park hop. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he's like, yeah, you have to wait. Uh, you know, you pay uh, 200 is it good because we haven't saved up anything for it yet so yeah. it's perfect <laughs> and he's like well the good news is you just pay 200 bucks and then you don't have to pay till December I'm like oh that's cool you can kind of yeah. just like wait for it a little bit, and uh, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna figure that out as soon as as soon as he gets back with pricing. The one thing I did, you know, and I I know I'm talking about never going back to the parks, and I just I, I still feel that way for a little bit. But I've talked a lot about COVID and COVID protocol, so we will we will be those people wearing masks. That's just what we're that's what we're gonna do, and I don't care about it. But the other thing is I wanted a hotel room that we can not have to share ventilated air. Because if you're, you know, if you're wearing a mask in the park and then you go back to like the Disneyland hotel and you're sharing air with everybody, what's the point? You know what I mean? So I told Jimmy that. I was like, These, this is what I'm looking for is a hotel. So I gave him an extra task, not just find me a cheap hotel and here's the area, but like a detailed, hey, this is, this is an important factor and, and I want you to do some legwork for me, the customer. And it was kind of cool. He's like, yeah, maybe like a residence in kind of thing. I said, yeah, something like that. He goes, okay, cool. I'll check it out. So that's just kind of the level of stuff that you can do with concierge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he'll get back to me. I don't know what that's going to entail, but that is definitely, uh, you know, definitely us. So if you're going to be in the parks in January, come say hi. We'll be we'll be around. Mm-hmm. I haven't navigated yet. I haven't chosen how to navigate uh, eating and drinking yet. I'm still there. I'm still there. I'm, I, this is going to be a long road for for your boy, but I'm going to try. Well, you have a, a, a several months to yeah, figure this exactly. out. I know. I know. I know. But it's just, I don't know. It's just a thing. Yeah. It's the, something the, in your head you and know? that's fine. And yeah. I think what will help is that I'm, that part doesn't concern me um, as much. So I feel like yeah. I will. And I mean, kind of like with the whole Disneyland thing, I'll just have to twist your arm and be like, are you going to eat? And I'll say, no, I'm not <laughs> okay. hungry. Okay. RGH is in the chat and he says, uh, you'll be far from alone in masks. I would say more than 10% of guests were in masks this week. He's in the park right now. Yeah. So that's cool. I uh, I appreciate that. A whole 10%. <laughs> 
More like, oh, than 10%. That's, that's like me at work. Yeah. Yeah. You're, just the, 1%. you're the 10 percenter. So anyway, there you go. I'll keep you guys posted. I think it'll be fun to sort of talk about planning and how we're going to navigate the parks. I'm going to do a little video. I think I say that now, but I probably won't, but I'm going to try. It's like what it's like to come back to the parks. I, we haven't been since pre-COVID. You know, I don't know how much is different, but I think mentally for me, it's going to be very weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, fun. Be fun stuff. I'm excited. Yeah. I can't wait. I think I'm, I, I mean, I could think. I know I'm going to cry as soon as I walk in. Cause... Of course you are. You're probably crying thinking about it right now. Not right now. Like, Excuse but, me. I got to go in the bathroom. Um, I, I, did, I did cry thinking about it one time, talking, <laughs> talking to my therapist. <laughs> like, like, I think I'm too emotionally invested in a, a place. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's what I've been trying to tell you. But whatever. Yeah. But somehow it doesn't resonate unless you pay me 150 bucks. She just told me it's a place that I feel safe. And I was like, you're right. Mm. I do. Well, you got a podcast about it, so yeah. I mean, yeah, well, there's, there's, there's that. a financial aspect as well. I yeah. mean, if you want to feel safe, like we could get an extra large dog crate, and you can just be locked in the Emo- dog crate. Emotionally oh, safe. Oh, I don't know what that means. It's a place where I don't have other responsibilities that I usually have in my life, and no. it feels real good. Like, <laughs> psych, you got to take care of me. <laughs> Um, all right, Eric, let's get started with Milt. Oh, what do you think, huh? Yeah, diving right in. Yeah. What do you mean diving right in? I've been Milt. BSing for 14 minutes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, it's wait, called the, were we talking about? It's called the uh, intro to the show. And we've done that. And now GPT it's time. Save me. <laughs> now it's time for you, my friend. I wish we had music. <clears throat> uh, yeah, we should think of music. And, uh, you know, the next time I do one of these, I'll, I'll have some more, some more imagery. Um, I, I did. I mean, most of the stuff I had was still images, but a lot of the characters you'll hear about in this segment are going to be characters you'll know okay. and characters you love. And if you don't know and love them, then get a subscription to Disney Plus and help out my um, my shareholder uh, value a little <laughs> bit. OK, All right, you know, just a bit. All right. Well, in the realm of Disney animation, there there are quite a few names that stand out. And we've Terrence started this uh, this series out a while back about Walt's nine old men. Some of the some of the the folks that stuck around during the the most sort of renowned times at the beginning of of the uh, of the studio. They weren't necessarily the first animators there, but they weathered the storms of World War Two. They weathered the Depression. They they really built the studio into what it became during its golden age. And one of these names is Milt Call. Um, he's he's one of Walt Disney's nine old men and his ca- contributions to Disney animation because of his attention to detail, because of his attention to movement and realism, he, he helped to define the Disney style for decades. Mm-hmm. And he left a, a giant mark on this industry for, for many years afterward. Mm-hmm. Milt was, was considered to be one of the most professional and also the, one of the most influential and, uh, and fiery members of Ooh. the studio. Oh. Okay. This is why this is why I've never heard his name before. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about uh, Walt uh, being the the firebrand around the studio? Walt called him the genius. He would was known to stick his head into Milt's office and say, "Where's my genius?" Oh Oh. God! Wow. (laughs) It's part of me thinks that uh, that's not a hundred percent genuine. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, No, no. And apparently it was genuine because I'll get into it a little bit later. Milt was one of the few people that would stand up to Walt, even when Milt was young there you go when he first started out in the studio uh, he was also known as the michelangelo of disney animation and the king of kings <laughs> wow 
There's, Jeez, there's this, every day was a coronation ceremony for the man. How, oh yeah. How have we never yeah. heard of this guy if he's been if he's put on this huge pedestal? <laughs> right. He's exactly. too high up. He's, Can't see. I guess. Yeah. There you go. But well, I'll tell you about him. And uh, you know, just to put it into context a little bit, one of his treasured possessions was a was a caricature he drew of Mark Davis standing over his shoulder and criticizing him, like in the in the the picture Milt's like over his over his drawing board. And he's got a bunch of expletive marks. You know the. <laughs> The exclamation and yeah. skull and crossbones and stuff. And and Mark Davis is saying, well, if you really were God, you would get it right on the first try. <laughs> Dang. So everybody knew his reputation as a as a firebrand and as a, a true artist, someone who had very high standards and was also extremely skilled. But let's go all the way back to when Milt was born on March 22nd, 1909 in San Francisco. Oh, local boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, he San Francisco was like a, a mess back then, too, because that was right. That <laughs> yeah, it was like was, three years after the yeah, war. It, it was not rebuilt yet. Oh, OK. Crazy. Well, he wasn't a wealthy kid. His family wasn't wealthy. His dad ho- held many jobs. And um, really, Milt just grew up loving to draw. He drew motorcycles and things that he liked. And uh, as he put it in one interview, yeah, I tore the paper up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Same. But when he was a teenager, his father abandoned his family. Oh. And Milt, as one. One of the, you know, the older kids in his family um, dropped out of high school to get a job and support the family. So he went to work for the Oakland Post Inquirer. That's still okay. around. Uh, the Inquirer. No, it's the Examiner. Some, re- some rendition of it, I yeah. think, is. I don't know if that's exactly what it's called. The anymore. Oakland Post Inquirer. No. Okay. Well, yeah. they were around then, <laughs> and uh, he he soon became an an art professional. He, he drew. He animated as um, as part of his work. Once once animation once art became his job, yeah. he lost interest in it as a hobby. Of course, that is exactly <laughs> yeah. what happened to me. As soon as I there started doing design. For for work i'm like oh yeah i don't really like this that much right <laughs> after i spent years loving it uh, exactly but he had the skills from from doodling as a kid and he he learned more skill as he went so while he was working for the paper he met ham lusk um ham for, his name was hamilton but of course as as okay. things go you right, just right, call right. him ham right ham and uh, wilt got him ham and ham and milt milt yeah milt. there you go all right wrong, wrong word <laughs> there you go uh, but uh but yeah ham was another animator who would become one of the four young men of disney animation which is totally a different series we'll have to do when we're done with the nine <laughs> old men right they were some of the original disney artists that actually stuck around uh, after after universal bought a whole bunch of waltz animators away from him but uh, he met ham formed a friendship uh, they bounced around between different animation and art jobs for a while and during the depression ham had landed at disney animation and gave milt a call so on uh, june 25th 1934 he became a disney animator he first started out as an in-betweener on Mickey's Fire Brigade, the short that aired in 1935. Uh, do we we need to go back to what an in-betweener is? I can't remember how much Yeah, parents... can, can you, can yeah, you yeah. remind oh me? Oh my God, who doesn't know that? Of course, yeah, yeah. duh. But yeah, I'm sure a lot of people don't understand the way animation worked back then. You had the main animators and they would they would design the characters. They would direct the gags in the short, the storyline of the short, and they would do the major sequences. And they would draw 10 images and say, OK, these are the beats we need to get to. And to improve production, this was one of these these innovations that Walt put out there, was to have other people draw the, the frames in between. So you had your major artists okay. framing the entire thing and drawing the 
these segments in time and everybody else would fill it in so that it would look smooth. Okay. So at least you had these these frames that were that were major and then the in-betweeners did all of the motion that went on. So in some ways they were copying what you did. So they had to have some skill in drawing so they could at least keep up the same design and not make it look like a child drew things in between really <laughs> mixed up. Yeah. But oh, they sure. also had to translate that motion as they went so that you would you would get the sense of, of realism, the sense of movement in between the major opponents of the shot. So he started out as an in-betweener and uh, the following year, he uh, they recognized his talent and they moved him up to a, a fuller, a, you know, a full animating job on Mickey's Circus. He did a bunch of shorts early on, like the Silly Symphonies, Ferdinand the Bull, the Ugly Duckling, and uh, he stepped up to a junior animator staff on Snow White in 1937. His main job there was animating the forest animals. So he wasn't doing the the human characters. We, we had some of the other, you know, golden age artists working during that on those. But he really made a name for himself drawing realistic animals that moved around and, and showed. Yeah, the movement in, on movement. those animals were awesome. It was uh, very fluid. Right. And it even stood out, you know, even to me. It doesn't know anything. You can just tell mm-hmm. that was something special. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the style that Walt wanted to do. This is the beginning of what this was literally the first the first animated film, a feature length animated movie where he wanted to make people he wanted to make jaws drop. He wanted people to to see something that really you could only do in real film, but do fantastic things that you can't do with a real camera because this is animation. You could do whatever you want. So to do this, they brought in a lot of real animals into the studio and they continued this when they did Bambi several years later. And this is where he he really stepped up. He, um, you know, Milt came in and watched these animals in the studio and he learned how they move in realistic ways. And he stuck through that study. He could just create characters out of his head. Um, there, there was a very popular technique at the time where they would film characters. They would film people moving around and dancing. They would film animals walking around and a lot of the artists would lean into that practice and use those stills to make animation so they'd kind of it, not really trace over it, but in a way, use those exact movements. They take specific frames and transfer them into art and uh, into animation. Art Babbitt was one of the animators that really leaned into this process and used them in a lot of the goofy cartoons to say, okay, well, I can see from, you know, making making a guy walk like, you know, like Goofy, I can translate that into into animation. He leaned heavily into this. And Milt never really liked this process. He thought it was a crutch. He said in interviews that too many people turned off their brains and relied on the movement that they saw instead of learning how things actually move. Wow. I mean, and later on in his career, he made a big deal out of it. He discarded live live reference. He didn't want to see those videos anymore. It sounds like Jeremy. <laughs> does <laughs> sounds like something jeremy would do oh how i don't know just okay. like i don't like the way they're doing it i'm never seeing i'm never watching <laughs> yeah. one of these again <laughs> oh you're doing it that way huh all right there you go but yeah and we'll we'll talk about art babbitt eventually um he was a big he wasn't one of walt's nine old men and that's largely because he led the strike against walt disney studios that's right yeah uh but we'll talk more about that technique in in later things but um but yeah because of this mentality other artists in the studio thought that milt was a true artist they loved his style they loved the way he went about things and they they were in awe that he could just come up with these things off the top of his head 
other people said in interviews that when he was working, he could spend an hour staring into the distance doing nothing. He would create nothing and then suddenly burn through like 20 drawings in rapid succession. Nothing would ever end up in his trash can. Nothing was discarded. He would just visualize a scene and then draw it and write little notes in the margins about where things could go. And some some drawings would have more detail and some of them would have would would just be quick sketches to kind of fill in the gaps. And that was his process was to Mm. envision movement and then make it happen. Wild. That's incredible. That's like those people who can just listen to a song and go, oh, yeah, and let's just rip it out. Yeah. I, like, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I saw a thing. Um, it was a like a little video clip of Hendrix, of Jimi Hendrix playing a, I think it was a, oh, Sgt. Pepper. Oh. Three days after it was released. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, like, I think it's the, there's like a live recording of, of, Hendri- of Hendrix playing Sgt. Pepper. And I think that's that's the video from it. And it's three days. That kid learned the. I mean, just listened to it a couple times, yeah. probably. I don't know. I mean, five, ten, who knows? What ripped it out? Wow, that's that kind of talent. That's like that's amazing to me. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, and he he considered art to be part talent and part work. Mm. He considered this. I mean, this was his job, and right. that's you know just putting in this effort really was was important to him. So one of his big breaks was animating Pinocchio. Uh, oh, the wow. initial designs of Pinocchio were very literally wooden. They kept designing this this puppet character based on the book that was apparently popular at the time. I guess the original <laughs> book was popular at, a, at various knows, points man. in time. All right. And everybody knew the story. And the way Walt looked at it, he, he said, after, after looking at a lot of the initial designs, he's like, the character of Pinocchio is a jerk in the books. Hmm. And okay. the way they animated this character in the early tests, he, he said... Yeah, he's unlikable. His character is unlikable. His design is unlikable. People aren't going to want, no one wants to engage with this. So he forced, he scrapped the entire project, months of work, and made the animators start over again, which is crazy. That's a huge amount of money. This is still in Disney's golden age where everything is, everything takes years to produce and millions of dollars to make. And Milt, who had already gained a reputation as a brash and outspoken critic of other artists in the studio. Oh, good. He's one of those guys that's too talented. Talented to fire, yeah. but, you know, and also too talented to get away with stuff. Right. Yeah, man, it sucks. Right. Yeah. So they, they redesigned the character, tried to make him look more likable. And he said, all of this is crap. Oh, boy. And guess who the director of the film was? One of the two art directors of the film was his old pal, Ham, who said, <laughs> you draw it. Oh. <laughs> wow. So still a junior animator, Milt steps up and created a likable character that was basically the cute Pinocchio that we see. And then after creating the character and designing these this sort of movement that he could do, his facial movement, his arm movement, then he went back and added in joints and nails and screws. He went back and added in the wooden hmm. boy characteristics after the fact and essentially said, here, I've designed the character for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And then that's wild, man. Yeah. And then they could create a lifelike character that was likable without worrying about, oh, how does how would two, you know, wooden joints move against each other? It's like just it's a cartoon. Make it fun. Right. Add in the bits later. And and it worked. That's a it, that's a smart way to go about it. Yeah. And that because of these things, because of his work with Bambi and the animals, because of his work with Pinocchio and creating a character that has endured for decades. Milt became the go-to in the studio for lifelike design. And this isn't one of those stories where it's like Walt Disney had a darker side where he yelled at people. We already <laughs> know that Milt yelled at people. Yeah. yeah. Milt was always a fiery guy who would shout his opinions. He'd tell people what he thought. 
Floyd Norman, you've talked about Floyd oh, yeah. Norman in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, love his story. But he wrote in an article on Jim Hill Media that uh, on his first day in feature film animation, he was assigned to Stan Green, who was Milt's key assistant. Okay. And he was getting his work assignments. He was he was in betweening. He was doing you know whatever they needed him to do. And he, he first shows up to the office. He's, he meets Stan and in you know he sees the door, the, the door on the other side of the office that leads into Milt's personal office. Okay. This is one of the legends of animation. Floyd knows who he is. The office is quiet and he hears as he's getting his assignments for the day, Milt yell, damn it, doesn't anybody know how to draw? <laughs> That's funny. And and he realized uh he had his work cut out for him. Mm, yeah, uh, that's not a good uh it's not a good, you know, uh message, I suppose. The, right. Your first day at work, here you go, you're ready, you're pumped. No, yeah. No. no. Right. It's not gonna be as easy as you thought. It's gonna that's, be yeah. you know, tough Definitely in weirder set, ways. Yeah, sets the tone. <laughs> yeah. the, the cultural tone. Exactly. But Lloyd had learned over time. He he said in one of the uh the tributes to Milt after he had passed, um, that so there was a there was a, a presentation at um the uh the Walt Disney Family Museum um a century after Milt so the the day that Milt would have turned 100 mm. um, so he, he was passed at the time but they they had a ceremony for him they had a little they had some some tributes to him around the museum and uh, Floyd Norman was one of the people that spoke there and he said that he really befriended Milt over time he, he worked hard for him he um he did he produced good work and generally didn't get lately chewed out in front of everybody <laughs> Gen- generally yeah yeah it had to happen of, of course. course yeah Oh yeah, I think everybody everybody who really got to know Milt said that yeah that he wasn't that bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Floyd befriended him by drawing little cartoons that would make Milt laugh. Hmm. So he knew how to calm him down. He knew how to make him laugh, and he would just write gags about other people in the studio, other things that they were doing, and it would make Milt laugh. So he he knew he was always on his good side. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Milt continued his tirades for years, criticizing others, but really with the intent of pushing for better work from everybody that worked under him and worked on his features. Uh, some of the things that he would say, uh, one person asked him once, how would you draw, draw Pinocchio from the top down? His response was, you would never draw him that way. He looks like hell. <laughs> because it, the, the the way that you would do, you know, these days you would draw a, you know, if you're doing a character study, you often create a 3D maquette so that animators can study them from all angles. He didn't like that. He also didn't like the way they, they would draw the same character from six different perspectives, uh, like one sheet 2D drawings. And he would say that ultimately, when you try to do these things, sure, there are interesting studies in the character, but there are certain things that you just couldn't do when it came down to animating, when you came down to creating realistic looking movements, sometimes you had to stretch them in ways that were unnatural to make them look realistic. You can't have things completely wooden because, you know, people perceive things, people perceive movement and emotions in very specific ways. And he had this innate sense from his work that he knew how to make make these emotions come across and nobody else nobody else really got that people would say that he he drew his drawings of like Jiminy Cricket putting on a coat was like he was animating a dancer <laughs> like <laughs> wow huh. he just had that sense he hated doing the hero characters. He was assigned to the prince in Sleeping Beauty. He said oh. the hero doesn't show relation, despair, anger, or anything. The hardest to, thing to do in animation is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And think of these characters, the, like the princes. They're just boring, handsome guys. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you, you. I bet if you uh, just looked at the face, not you know the outfit that they're wearing, whatever, you probably couldn't tell the difference between him or me. <laughs> 
I mean, no, I'm sorry. Between the prints is like what movie goes to what print, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, those ones. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. they're there for like half a second. Well, yeah. No one cares. Because Prince Charming from Cinderella and Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty, totally interchangeable. Yeah. 100%. Oh, and um, then there's me. <laughs> Prince me from my own personal hell. And then there's you. Yeah. <laughs> He animated Alice, uh, a lot of scenes of Alice. He never finished most of the scenes. He would just start them and somebody else would finish them. He didn't like animating her because he didn't like her story. He liked the Lewis Carroll book. Yeah, her story's dumb. But ult- that was, ultimately, he's like, her only motivation is I want to get home. Yeah. And he didn't like that. Hmm. Yeah, she's one of those uh, I've never arced in my life characters. She doesn't change. <laughs> she's no different. You know, she's just the same person. Boring. She went through a lot of stuff. Yeah, but it's an did- interesting movie. There are a lot of colors. Sure. Uh, and on that note, he really loved working with Mark Davis and Mary Blair. Who? He pr- <laughs> Some other people. Okay. Um, it, he he really appreciated their their approach, their style, how Mark would put humor into things and how he would he would add interesting emotions. And he could convey a scene in very few images that really translated into a lot of what Davis did in the parks. Mary Blair and her, her, her command of color. He loved it. Um, on the flip side, uh, Avond Earl, the designer of a lot of Sleeping Beauty, a lot of the backgrounds, a lot of the color, a lot of the the thematic designs. He couldn't stand his his designs, hmm. but he loved his use of color. So he could he could respect certain things about people, but hate the way that they translated into film. He said it wasn't interesting for film because it was so unrealistic and these shapes didn't exist. Trees didn't ex- didn't look that way. They weren't square. And yeah, well, he, have, he, have them go to Disneyland Paris. You can just make them that way, right? Yeah, obviously, you can just trim them that way. <laughs> but yeah, he, he didn't like. He, he was obviously very vocal about certain things, but he could see the merit in a lot. Um, in particular, about uh, Sleeping Beauty, he he pointed out that you know he liked the Earl designs, but he, he ultimately thought that Sleeping Beauty would have been a better film if Walt had cared about it, because <laughs> the movie came out like it was being produced in the years that Walt was working on Disneyland, he knew that Walt wasn't paying attention. He could see Walt engaging with mm. the Imagineers, engaging with the design of his park. He respected the way Walt could tell actual engineers, no, this will work. They'd say to him, there's no way this will happen. And, and Walt would would envision it and, and describe to them what he wanted. Again, we've talked so much about how this original Disneyland was, wasn't planned. No. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah. And he, he said he respected that Walt knew more about the contours of the land and how how water would flow than any engineer could. Which but I have felt- a hard time believing that. I feel like that's one of those nice things people say after you die. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like like they'll say about me, like, oh, he could really he could really carry a conversation. He could really interview people really well. No. It's just a nice thing you say about someone. I don't know. He Milt wasn't exactly known for being a super nice guy. That's true. Yeah, but still. I don't know, <laughs> anyway, but yeah. He, he I just don't believe he- it. I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I don't believe that Walt Walt Disney knew more about engineering waterways yeah. than anybody else. Right. I don't buy I mean, it. he did create a river that instantly drained because it was made out of clay. See? <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm talking about. But uh, but yeah, it, let's see. Some other... Some, oh, yeah. About Walt. What he said about Walt at one point in an interview, um, he said the reason he could talk back to Walt was because, as he put it, I could do something that Walt was no good at. He was a <laughs> lousy cartoonist. All right. <laughs> and that is the problem, I suppose, with being honest about your shortcomings to your staff yeah is that anybody's better like what are you gonna do fire me yeah there you go right. yeah and he said he was an absolutely wonderfully creative man a wonderful story man and a fountain of ideas some of his ideas were lousy some were good most of them were good 
As a story man, my God, he was the best in the world. But you had to be fairly honest. If you were a yes man, you could say yes one day to a stupid idea and get your ass in a sling the next day for saying so. <laughs> so so basically, it depended on his mood. Right, exactly. But if you were always honest with him, mm-hmm. Walt respected that. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, you know, the way he he approached working with with Walt. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to run through a bunch of the, the characters that Milt designed and either designed or had a major or did the full animation in the feature for. Actually, let's take a break. Okay, let's We're do take that. Take a break real fast. Get you something to drink. Get me something to drink. And uh, we'll be right back here in Ears Up. Hang on, everybody. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gee, sorry guys, but that guy bought 14 churros. I'm all sold out. And now the show all right thanks for hanging on everybody before we get back into milt i want to let everybody know that summer is right around the corner and our friends at the 21st amendment are celebrating the return of the warmer days with their popular and everyone's favorite seasonal beer hell or high watermelon wheat the brewers at the 21st amendment brew an american wheat beer with real watermelon juice creating a refreshing, fruity, and quenching beer, or what they affectionately call summer in a can. Hell or High Watermelon Wheat will make any weekend barbecue or beach time activity that much better. When visiting the California Bay Area, be sure and stop in at the 21st Amendment's San Francisco Brew Pub at 563 2nd Street, just two blocks from where baseball is played, and also be sure and visit their brewery tap room just across the bay in San Leandro with an outdoor beer garden. Outdoor beer garden. God, I love that Delightful. Place. Yeah, it's a, good spot. it's a good spot. And I love that beer. There you go. Uh, yeah, we looked for it the other day. We couldn't find it. Yeah, I couldn't wine find it. I was a little bit sad. Yeah, sold out probably. It'll, it'll we'll get it. Um, all right, Eric, you were going to go through characters that Milt uh developed or designed, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, as uh, as Floyd Norman once stated in an interview, uh, if if Milt didn't animate it, he at least designed it for decades. He was the major influence on the studio. Milt, not necessarily in response to this quote, but sort of spiritually in response to it. Claimed he often got the jobs nobody else wanted. <laughs> sounds like it. But it also sounds like he took those jobs because he felt like he could do it better than everyone else. Oh, sure. He's probably one of the guys who knew that he could do everything better than everybody else. He just didn't have enough time. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he wasn't having the most fun, but he got it done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some of his major his major roles outside of Pinocchio. Uh, w- let's see. We've got Bambi and Thumper in Bambi. He did a Donald Duck sequence in Saludos Amigos. In Song of the South, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, and Br'er Fox. Wow. Talk uh, about iconic sl- for, you know, a myriad reasons. I don't know why myriad is my new term of the day, but uh, wow, he designed Br'er Rabbit. Jeez. I don't want to steer too too far, um, but I just learned something that Mars might have an atmosphere. <laughs> Beatri- the Beatrix Potter, Beatrix Potter wrote um, uh, Peter, Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit. Uh, and and those there's like 23 stories surrounding Peter Rabbit. Um, apparently, those actually were I, I don't want to say stolen, but they were basically taken from Br'er Rabbit stories. Really, that's funny. There's there's a good. A lot of people don't talk about it, but yeah. there are some old 
older interviews with Beatrix Potter where he or she actually, I guess she. she like talks about how she remembered hearing stories like from enslaved people, like mm -hmm. the Br'er Rabbit type stories. And like, but like, it's just funny because like you don't really hear that, even though she sort of admitted it, but like nobody talks about it. And you're like, so she did whitewashed versions of yeah. Uncle Remus stories. And yeah. At least totally. influenced by, you know, influenced by. Yeah. And, and and yeah, like that, that the article was was not only saying that that's the case and that she sort of admitted it, but also that no one talks about it. It's just it's like a non thing. And it's like so weird. <laughs> So anyway, sorry. No, cool. I, I mean, the rest of this is a list, so feel feel free to interrupt <laughs> and make comments on things. Uh, let's see. In Melody Time, he did Slewfoot Sue, a character he liked drawing, and Johnny Appleseed, who he thought was boring. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's <laughs> well, the, Johnny is. Appleseed is the worst part of that little ensemble. Oh, yeah. it, I hate it so much. It's so just beat me over the head with a Bible for God's sakes. Like, like I don't know. It's <laughs> it's terrible. Oh yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, package films, this is a little less packagey, but he did mold and McBadger in the Mr. Toad part and hmm. Rom in the Ichabod part of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. All right. Uh, he created the fairy godmother, the king and the grand duke in oh. Cinderella. Wow. The fairy godmother was mostly his design because Walt wanted a stately, uh, like tall, like statuesque woman to be the fairy godmother. And he convinced <laughs> he wanted to have a pudgy, like Orifana, Merriweather style fairy. Yeah. And he kind of met in the middle and Walt was, he had to convince Walt by doing a bunch of different versions and eventually settled on the fairy godmother that we all know. I think that what he had in mind was much better. Yeah, like an austere or whatever yeah. grandma, that wouldn't be cozy. Well, yeah, because I'm imagining like essentially, um, what's her name? The wings and the, she flies around and she's kind of a bee. Not a bee, but a... The blue fairy, Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. <laughs> Tinkerbell, yeah. Like that, I'm imagining that like one. Tinkerbell, but in a dress being fairy godmother. And I'm like... Nah. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned, he did a bunch of Alice scenes. He created the designs for Peter Pan, Wendy, and the rest of the Darling family. Jeez. Wow. Uh, he was the lead animator for Tramp in Lady and the Tramp. Okay. All right. Uh, he, as I mentioned, he was Prince Philip, but he also got to do King Hubert in uh, Sleeping Beauty. All right. Uh, he did, for 101 Dalmatians, he did Pongo, Perdita, Roger, and Anita, and lots of <laughs> other dogs. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, for Sword in the Stone, he designed Arthur, Merlin, Hector, Kay, Bart, and Madame Mim, who is one of his favorite characters of all time. Oh, yeah, she was great. Well, and so I, I, I gotta say, like, it seems even more... More for his resume, I guess. More, it puts him even on a bigger pedestal that he didn't necessarily animate these characters, but he designed them. Like, it's almost more important to, to design these characters than it is to be the one to animate them. He's the one that, that made them what they are. Yeah. That's oh, wild. Yeah. yeah, and I'll get into that in just a, a little bit here when I finish up my, my list. But, but yeah, that was, it, like, that really sets the tone for everything, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Jungle Book. So he, he did Ka, Mowgli, Bagheera. King Louie and Shere Khan was was a character that he animated fully. Jeez. It widely considered by lots of other Disney animators to be his crowning achievement. Um, he designed Tigger. He wow. did Tigger in Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day, and then the subsequent, the, the next two films that Tigger was in. Uh, he did, he designed many of the characters in Aristocats, not only the cats, but the humans. 
Everybody wants to be designed by milk. There you go. <laughs> and I won't list all those because uh, no one knows any of those character names. Yeah. I don't watch that movie. Time. It's can't bad. wait for the live action. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, Robin Hood, Little John, Maid Marian, Lady Cluck, and the Sheriff of Nottingham. Wow. And the last character he fully animated was Medusa from The Rescuers. One of his favorites, just like Madame Mim, an over-the-top villain character. Uh, he he loved the design. He loved her interesting movements and her motivations. And he used zero live action guides to creating her. He just threw incredible, cool, yeah. incredible talent. Yeah, um, I get excited the- when I throw the end of a strawberry in the garbage can from twelve <laughs> feet away. You know what I mean? Yeah, when yeah, I sink yeah, it, yeah. it's like yes, that's that, that's what I'm doing today. That is the best thing I'm going to do today. Sweet, yeah. yeah. It goes over. Reanimated. Still talking about it. Yeah. So Ron Clements, one of the directors of The Little Mermaid, remembered working with him in the 1970s. He compares Milt to the Simon Cowell of animation. (laughs) Okay. Sounds about right. Sure, man. Andreas Deha, the lead animator for Scar in The Lion King, developed a, a relationship with him as well. In his later years, he remembers him mostly after Milt had retired because he kind of sought him out. He had met him during his final days at the studio. And he says that once Milt was out of the studio, he was less critical. He was less fiery and he freely shared his work with Andreas and he would give him pointers on his designs and on his technique. He really helped him improve. And um, Andreas has a ton. If you seek out Andreas Deja, that's D-E-J-A, I hope it's Deja. Um, yeah. seek him out and seek his, his blog out. He's still putting out posts once or twice a month. And many of his posts are about Milt and <laughs> he has tons of sketches from Milt's archives. Wow. That's and cool. is potentially working on a book. Nice. Milt's philosophy of animation. He said in an inter- interview once realism isn't wooden. It's the people you have doing it. I didn't just follow live action that closely later on. I was fortunate to have my own way in these things and didn't use live action at all with Hector and Kay in Sword in the Stone. They're a lot better. (laughs) On The Rescuers, I didn't use any live action on Medusa. I worked awfully hard and have studied how people move, and you don't have to use reference then. Observations of people, movement, how muscles are involved, balance, weight. It's something you just learn. I could animate an animal from how how it has to move. Yeah, the uh, he's he's more interested in the motivation for the movement rather than how it moves in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is funny because you watch Thor in the Stone and all those characters sort of lumber. Yeah, you know nobody's graceful. Maybe Merlin, but he's a little bow legged, so he kind of just like he's, hops he's along, bouncy. And, yeah, yeah, but like you know, Hector stumbles, Sir Kay stumbles, you know, uh, Wart just sort of bounds along like a little rubber ball. I don't know. It's it, the movement is very purposeful i suppose it's weird yeah 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 and that was his style um they people sometimes described his his method method is like shaky head because hmm. everybody was a little bit bouncy mm-hmm. in, in some of those later features uh well over time milt saw a change in the studio uh, he said about the early days thank god we had walt in those days nobody was really the director because walt was the director hmm. uh, because at that time even though you were the director you you're what mostly what you did was develop storyboards, develop character design. You kind of cut people loose. But Walt would tell you if he liked it or if he didn't, because it's not like a it's not like a movie is filmed or a TV show is filmed normally with live action where you get hundreds of hours of film and then you cut out the parts you want. Animation, you you don't have time for that. You have to be purposeful. Every second has to count. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've got he things change in 1955 when Walt was distracted by the parks. He didn't think that Walt would have let some of these things go through the 
old Walt would not have let some of these things happen in Sleeping Beauty, which is interesting. Hmm. Sleeping Beauty was a flop when it first came out. Now we think it's a complete classic, but initially it was a flop. See, it's like the love guru. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, after Walt died, the artists were no longer the lead directors of animation. Uh, di- director directors came in to tell people how to do things, and the animators were more workhorses. Um, over over time, they kind of lost that godlike status that they once held, where they were... Mm. Floyd Norman was terrified of meeting his <laughs> one of his legends, yeah. Milt Call in the flesh. Uh, and that's because they weren't, they weren't running the entire show anymore. And then eventually, as as we've talked about before, animation itself waned in status and uh, the, you know, the studios weren't what they once were. And in 1976, he told Ron Miller he wasn't going to do it anymore. It wasn't fun anymore. And he left. Uh, Milt died uh, 11 years later on April 19th, 1987 of pneumonia. Uh, He, yeah, in his final years, he didn't draw. He didn't paint. He sometimes created wire models of ballet dancers. Uh, When (laughs) interviewers would go to his house, uh, like one interviewer, Robin Allen, remarked that um, while he was still as abrasive and arrogant as ever in 1985, he had no Disney stuff around. He had almost <laughs> none of his art. Wow. What he what he kept were the funny caricatures that they would draw of each other. Hmm. At that time, he was more into boats, vintage cars, and these little wire models of of dancers that he thought were fun. Wow. Um, he yeah. loved going to the movies, but not necessarily art. Yeah. Hmm. The Disney caricatures were probably the point for him. Mm-hmm. Everything else was a job, but that was camaraderie. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Floyd remembers, Floyd Norman remembers when they really got into it as as he raised himself in Milt's esteem, they would shout, they would just yell at each other insults across the hall. Like you couldn't draw your own ass. <laughs> <laughs> and they would just heckle each other all day long and laugh and have fun and, and work. Yeah. His eventual legacy, like I, I mentioned at the top here, he was re- referred to as the Michelangelo of Disney animation. He was the King of Kings. He was Walt's genius. And in 1989, in, as part of the second class of Disney legends, he was one of the one of the legends that was was named. That particular class was entirely Walt's nine old men plus the original Disney animator of Iwerks. Nice. Those those ten were the second class, and That's of course, cool. Milt was among them. So he's been uh, Disney legend for quite some time at a boy and there you go that's cool. our that's our old pal milton <laughs> nicely done awesome eric good, good job, job. nice work um okay we are running up against the time clock for uh running into the secret show but i gotta we gotta talk news, Back to the news oh no on well wrong bug sorry <laughs> wrong bed wrong i'm a professional uh where is it there it is march in the past present and future with all the news that's fit to cover it's the years up disney news there is a lot to talk about but um i'm gonna do one of these i'm gonna do one of these stories and uh, we'll talk about everything else on the Secret Show. Okay, sounds good. You guys heard of the Galactic Star Cruiser, <laughs> the Star Wars well, Hotel? Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently, the time has come for the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, and it will close its doors for good in September of this year. Oh, boy. What? It is done. It is, that is over. Shocking to probably nobody at all. <laughs> I mean, except, except like the, yeah. the, the, the executives at Disney, because once this was announced, 
announced. It got nothing but ridicule online for the pricing. And then as the pricing was rolled out and became more expensive and all the stuff that you were supposed to get, but you didn't really get and how weird it was. And like everybody, especially us, we were all going, this is not going, this is not sustainable. Once yeah. Because it's a one or maybe two time thing. This is not a five time repeater. You don't do this as you don't, you don't, you, there's no way. You can't afford to redo you it. You can't afford it. <laughs> I am surprised um, that it's shutting down so quickly. Me too. For one. Yes. I'm also surprised that they're letting, I, how, how do I say this? Like I feel. I thought their egos were too big to close it down. Yeah, I thought maybe for sure we would get some sort of like, you know, reduction in price, reduction of what the thing is, maybe not a two night thing, but make it a normal immersive hotel or do something like that. Yeah. Um, But I mean, they're probably not going to demolish it, but they'll just make it something else. But there's only 100 rooms in this place. Right. Like, what will it be? Maybe maybe it's going to be part of the Walt. What is that? The the Walt Disney World uh, or Walt Disney um, Vacation Club? Maybe it could be part of that yeah i mean probably but it's it's weird that they're gonna kill the whole thing so all those people who got hired for this that's it (laughs) they're not gonna have jobs there yeah and it's very much an admitted failure you're admitting failure right and that's not something they normally do which is why i thought like that announcement when you told me i jaw just dropped me too i when i when i saw it i think it was on discord someone dropped on a discord it's like what I'm not surprised, but I'm sort of surprised that it happened. It was so shocking that Terrence texted us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. He's like, guess what? There's big news. And it's like, yeah, no kidding, And dude. Bev. And Bev. And Se- Bev. Separately. Yeah. Very late last night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it was weird because, it, you know, it was one of those things when, like I said, when it opened, we were sitting here going, you'll go once, maybe twice. That's it. There's no repeatability for this. That's the flaw. But- well, that and I don't even think they got people to go the once and twice because it's just too expensive it's it's yeah. asking too much of your patron disney world is shutting down the galactic star cruiser the immersive star wars themed hotel that cost around five thousand dollars for a two-night stay in an update on disney's website the company says the star cruiser will host its final guests from september 28th to the 30th quote we are so proud of all the cast members and imagineers who brought star wars galactic star cruiser to life and look forward to delivering an excellent experience for guests during the remaining voyages over the coming months disney's update says thank you to our guests and fans for making this experience so special it's not an experience it shouldn't have been you don't call it an experience i, I with their announcement sort of reads like it was always going to be temporary guys we this was we tried this thing and and it's come to an end and we learned a lot to do the next thing it's like well, good, the, good spin i mean, I mean it's, they have to spin it's it. very good spin disney's galactic star cruiser hasn't been around for long as it's only first as it's as it only first opened its doors to guests in march of 2022 so just over a year The lavish hotel is modeled after the Halcyon in Star Wars, featuring highly detailed decor, interactive events, themed dining, and live entertainment. But with a price of roughly $4,800 for two adults or $5,999 for three adults and one kid, because who doesn't travel with three adults and one kid? Like, what? (laughs) Disney doesn't exactly make taking the stay very affordable. In March, Disney announced that it would start scheduling two bookings per week in October, down from its typical three to four week book. 
booking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What does that mean? I, I'm a little confused by that. Um, that it wouldn't just be all they were. They were limiting the amount of days that you could actually book this oh, hotel in oh. October, and then I guess they decided just to pull the plug oh, entirely. I see. Got it. Yeah. According to Disney, the company will contact anyone who has bookings on or after September 30th to quote discuss your options and modify your plan. I like how it's, we'll contact anyone who has booking. Either you do or you don't. Like, either you know that people have bookings or they don't. I bet yeah, nobody I has bookings. Yeah. Well, I like o- the options. Yeah. Yeah. What What options? <laughs> yeah, um, right. Give me my money back. Yeah. <laughs> like, also, like, I'm really like, if you're like on those last couple of days in September, I feel like it's not going to be a good experience. You're not going to get the full excitement from the cast. I, I, I disagree. I think it'll oh, be no. better because, really? yes, because I think the, the atmosphere there will be of we are the last people to ever do this and it'd be more right. it'd be more like a party and i bet they're going to do something special um that's the way i think about it too it's like decommissioning a cruise liner or whatever i don't yeah, know the last night of any show is always everybody's having a blast the cast know what they're doing and what's interesting for the last few months they've been announcing all these different ways where they're going to discount stays by 30 percent. so annual pass holders get 30 percent off disney visa card holders get 30 percent off dvc members get 30 percent off right after they announced that all those deals were gone. <laughs> yeah. So you know September's back up to full price. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The company is also pausing new bookings until May 26th while it takes care of affected guests. There you go. All right, cool, man. All two of them. So there's uh, there's that. <clears throat> we got time for just uh, briefly one more, which is the other huge story. Remember how we talked about <laughs> uh, Disney moving Imagineering to Florida? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To uh, Lake Nona. To Lake Beautiful Nona. Beautiful Lake Nona. Yeah. Now it's like no one going to live here because uh, Disney has pulled the plug on that project, canceling the move and uh, telling all the affected Imagineers, you can stay in Glendale. Wow. You are, do not have to go to Florida. It's a total reversal of what's been talking about, uh, been talked about for a year, two years now. And uh, it's pretty wild. It's pretty, pretty wild. And it's also weird that it came the same week that reports came out that DeSantis is uh, starting to to uh, maybe announce his presidency uh, run next week. Mm. Weird. Yeah, I feel like the timing is a little odd, and we'll read some stories on the Secret Show about you know people predicting what that what this loss in revenue and this loss in like business impact will mean for Florida. Yeah, it's a huge. It's it's a big. It's a big slap in the face. It's it, like it's a slap in the face, but it's not something they had. So it's not like they're taking something away. They're taking away what they said they were going to do for the most part. But I also think. The way that DeSantis has been acting with Disney, why would they stay? Why would they continue (laughs) to do business in Florida if they don't have to? Like, it makes perfect sense for them to be like, (laughs) bye. Yeah, we don't need to do this anymore. The only bummer about it is the the Imagineers who, number one, had to go through hell deciding whether or not, because Disney came to everybody and was like, look, you have until this date to figure out if you want to move to Florida and we'll pay for that and whatever, or you find another job. You have to quit. Like, that's it. And, uh, you know, we knew some people people who were caught up in that mess and it was very stressful for these people and there were a few people who have moved to Florida uprooted their lives out here moved to Florida bought a house created a life and then now Disney says we're not going to make everybody else do that so what they are saying is we'll pay for to relocate you back that's good that is good but imagine you live in you know LA Glendale Upland whatever right like that whole like upper LA area right Mm -hmm. Uh, Pasadena whatever right and you sell your house your million dollar 
you're not getting that back. It, no, you're not getting no, – and then you uh, move to Florida and it, you – you know what I mean? That's that, why you can't ever leave California because you can't ever come back. Especially in so, the <laughs> Southern California housing market. It would be a bear to reenter. Yeah. So where does that come in? Like the the, the loss of, of money just by swapping real estate markets. Yeah. So on the one hand, I feel terrible for the – I mean I, not on the one hand. I feel terrible for the Imagineers because they had to go through this. But also they didn't have to – I still don't really understand this whole like move. But um, it's over now, and uh, we can discuss a little more of the Seeker Show. But uh, we got to take off. We got to go make drinks and then come back on in 10 minutes, nine minutes for the Uh-oh. Secret Show. Yes. Yeah, so if you are a Patreon supporter, and, uh, you know, honestly, I say this all the time, but <laughs> why wouldn't you be? Uh, the link is already in Patreon. So go over there, spin that up, and we'll be over in just a second. I'll play some music until we get back in and start the show and do a whole bunch of other Disney news because there's a lot to talk about. A lot of cool stuff, too, but uh, just that. Anyway, Eric, good job, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah, you did it. Very well. Did a wonderful job. Just so you guys know what's coming up on the on the uh, the docket here for the next couple months, I believe the next show is going to be April 1st. It's not a trick. April 1st? April full. Uh, June 1st? Yeah, April's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's not a trick. June 1st, Terrence will be back on the show to tell <gasps> us about his journey through Disney cruises. Wow. He went on a Disney cruise in April. That's where the April date came from. And uh, he's going to come on and give us a rundown of how that was for him and his family and what they did and if you'd recommend it and all that kind of fun stuff. Cool. So we'll be doing that. We're going to get RGH on here in a couple months or maybe a month or whatever to talk about Genie Plus because he's used it on both coasts now. Oh. And he's like, I got some tips. He's a pro. Yeah, he's a pro. So we got some cool shows coming up for you. Sweet. Yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot, everybody. And uh, until next time, we'll see you in the parks. <laughs> <laughs>